TuneIn is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. That clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. And even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here. On TuneIn, go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only twenty-five dollars a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile, get four iPhone 15s on us, and four lines for twenty-five bucks per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling accounts to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. All right. Wake up. It's Sunday. It's Hardline. We're here. Yes, we are. The B team. Hour number two. Joe Beamer, Brenda Alacy with you. Talking politics. That is kind of the spirit of the show. And last night, now you might have been out having a good time. Didn't know that there was a primary in South Carolina. By the way, live coverage was right here on WBEN. As it will be on Tuesday, Super Tuesday. And there's no one better I can think of to talk about it than with Mr. Dave Leventhal. Dave, good morning. Hey, good morning to you, Joe. All right, so let's get the first thing first. Um, no surprise, Joe Biden wins South Carolina. Is this the spark he needs to kind of restart his campaign? Well, considering that Joe Biden has been running for president since 1987, and this is the first time that he has ever won a primary in three tries, it, it better be a spark for him, uh, given the fact that he's been at this for a while. But yeah, this was make or break for Joe Biden. Had he not performed as well as he did, certainly had he not won, then we may be having a conversation about Joe Biden not being in the race anymore after Super Tuesday, if not after last night. But that's not the case. And Joe Biden right now not only won the state, but he also kind of clawed his way back into the race uh, for the ever-important delegate count, uh, which is still just a minuscule amount of the overall delegates that the candidate's going to need to ultimately get the nomination when it comes to the Democratic National Convention. But Bernie Sanders is leading that with 56 delegates. Joe Biden now has about 48 delegates. And it's kind of neck and neck, at least uh, from that measure going into Super Tuesday, when we've got uh, you know, more than a dozen states uh, that are up for grabs here, including a, a territory as well. Now, the, the number one thing I heard yesterday, not Joe Biden winning or Tom Steyer dropping out, um, was that South Carolina illustrates a problem Bernie Sanders might have heading into Super Tuesday, and that's votes with minority voters. Yeah, and that's uh, definitely something that uh, has been a consideration for Bernie Sanders ever since uh, he started running for president himself back in 2015. Uh, Bernie Sanders uh, has not been able to, at least up to this point, uh, garner the overwhelming support of people who are not white in the Democratic Party. So as a result of that, uh, Joe Biden uh, has had his moment in South Carolina uh, the uh, you know the majority of Democratic voters who were voting in the primary were not white yesterday. So this was something that, that definitely played into Joe Biden's favor. Joe Biden, of course, was 
Barack Obama's vice president for eight years. So he's been able, especially, uh, you know, among uh, voters in South Carolina and throughout the South, gain a lot of respect and, and gain a lot of admiration uh, from non-white voters, uh, particularly African-American voters. So going into Super Tuesday, is this going to be a problem for Bernie Sanders? Potentially, but Bernie Sanders, it's also important to note uh, in, in a major way, is doing well in the polls in some of the key Super Tuesday states that have huge, huge delegate counts, not the least of which is California. If Bernie Sanders wins California, that's going to be a major, major victory for him just from a number standpoint, and it's going to propel him beyond Super Tuesday into potentially a, a pretty strong position. Now, Joe Biden could very well win some Super Tuesday states, but if you're uh, a, an odds playing person right now, expect that Bernie Sanders is probably going to come out of Super Tuesday with more delegates than any of the other candidates running in the race right now. All right, let's take a look at Super Tuesday and, and we'll talk more about Biden and Bernie. But first, I want to go down the list to someone who has not been performing well, and that's Elizabeth Warren. Now, her campaign is running out of money. She does have her the state that she's the senator of, Massachusetts. Does she need to win more than just Massachusetts to stay alive past Super Tuesday? Uh, Almost certainly, if uh, she's going to have any hope, any possible hope of getting herself back into the race where she could have some hope and prayer of winning the nomination outright without a contested convention, which is an animal unto itself, and I expect we'll get into more in a little bit, but... Yeah, right now, some of the polls in Massachusetts show Elizabeth Warren pretty much neck and neck with Bernie Sanders in her home state, in the state that she represents in the U.S. Senate. So it's not even necessarily a slam dunk for Elizabeth Warren that she's going to win Massachusetts. And if she can't win Massachusetts, how can she expect to win any state in the country right now? She only has eight delegates uh, at this point, Joe. Uh, and that's just not going to cut it, uh, particularly when Bernie Sanders and Joe Biden are peeling ahead as they are. Even uh, Pete Buttigieg has a number of delegates that he got from his victory in Iowa, although it seems that his campaign right now is flagging a good bit. So it's really uh, just, you know, to say it's crunch time for Elizabeth Warren is uh, just a a colossal understatement. Uh, It wouldn't uh, be shocking. It wouldn't be uh, a a complete surprise if after Super Tuesday, the Elizabeth Warren campaign is nearing an end. Dave, uh, so many interesting storylines at play here. And one of the things that caught my eye was a quote by Rufus Gifford. He was the finance director for Barack Obama's reelection campaign and a Joe Biden supporter. And uh, the way he positioned it is uh, Joe is the only alternative to Bernie Sanders, which is the only alternative to losing the election to Donald Trump. And they need to consolidate. So. As you're saying, though, it doesn't look like a lot of his opponents are inclined to drop out, especially Michael Bloomberg. Uh, what do you think will happen next? With who you know, you mentioned about Elizabeth Warren. Probably uh, the end of her campaign is nearing if she can't win Massachusetts. But what happens after that with Buttigieg and Sanders? Well, you know, one scenario, and this is uh, one of several that that could be in play, but uh, one of the most intriguing ones is. The Democrats have a rule for their primaries that you need to score 15 percent of a vote in an individual primary caucus to gather delegates for yourself. If you fall below that threshold, you get shut out. If you get 15 percent or more, you have at least an opportunity to share in some of the delegate wealth of that particular state. So. The winner, yes, of course, is going to get delegates, but second, third, even fourth place, if you cross that 15 percent 
uh, threshold in in uh, a state when you perform, then you get some delegates too. So where does that lead us? Well, it leads us to a point where it is conceivable this election, particularly with so many candidates in the race and several of them fairly competitive, that we go into the Democratic National Convention this summer without a candidate who has a majority of the delegates. That means that the convention, which hasn't happened in many, many, many cycles here, would actually mean something, and that the delegates will have to vote, that there could be multiple ballots, and uh, that it's possible that even though Bernie Sanders would have a plurality of votes, meaning the most votes, but not a majority of the votes, 50% or more, uh, that because of that, he, he might not necessarily be the nominee. We heard this uh, addressed in one of the recent debates, not the last one, but the one before, uh, where the question was asked, well, all right, candidates, if uh, you have a plurality of votes, should you automatically be the nominee? Every candidate on stage said, no, we should play by the rules. It should go to the convention floor. And the only one who said yes, that a plurality of votes should be the one uh, who goes ahead and the candidate should be the nominee was Bernie Sanders himself. So you can sort of see the divide uh, that's coming here and that the candidates very much have this on their mind. David, uh, another name that is now, you know, we see Tom Steyer. I can't believe I've mentioned him twice uh, in this (laughs) questioning. Tom Steyer leave the race and now Michael Bloomberg enters it. Is there a state where he's looking to win that he's ahead in the polls? Because I'm looking at Texas now. I can't believe this. Bernie Sanders is ahead pretty big. And Bloomberg has fallen to third place right on the edge of that 15%. This was his big day. Where is he looking to get the delegates? So Michael Bloomberg has spent more money on presidential primaries than any candidate in the history of presidential primaries, even though he's been in the race only about three plus months at this point. It's just Absolutely, uh, you know, to for the Princess Bride fans out there, inconceivable that this could be happening. And yet Michael Bloomberg right now doesn't even have a single delegate to his name. He asked the question of where he's going to do well. It's possible that he could do fairly well in a state like North Carolina on Super Tuesday. He's been absolutely blanketing the airwaves and your Facebook feeds and your Twitter feeds there. Although Joe Biden, by virtue of him winning South Carolina, could get a boost in North Carolina because of that victory. Some of the surrogates for Joe Biden, including Representative Jim Clyburn, uh, who was instrumental to Biden doing well in the end in South Carolina. They're going up to North Carolina. Arkansas is another state that Michael Bloomberg has been very heavily blanketing with messages and ads. He's doing quite well in the polls there, relatively speaking. But it's Arkansas. We're not talking about Texas. We're not talking about California. We're not talking about Virginia, some of the other states that have a very rich delegate hall. So, all right, Michael Bloomberg has spent tens and tens and now hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars on his campaign. But if he can't win states, he can't win delegates and he can't win the Democratic presidential nomination unless Bernie Sanders doesn't go ahead and get a majority of votes, unless Joe Biden doesn't go ahead and get a majority of votes. And that's kind of the play that somebody like a Michael Bloomberg or Pete Buttigieg and Elizabeth Warren, even an Amy Klobuchar, have at this point, uh, which is that they know that it's highly, highly unlikely that they're able to get the delegates that they need. So maybe they're going to have an opportunity in the convention floor if all the delegates can't coalesce around somebody that they sneak in. It's a long shot. It's a very long play, but it's kind of the best that they've got right now, barring something absolutely monumental and unforeseen. 
Dave, you're uh, so right about Michael Bloomberg blanketing the airwaves. In fact, I thought it was interesting that he was running commercials during the Democrat debate. Have you ever seen that happen before? Uh, No, not like this. And that's what happens when you have tens and tens of billions of dollars and spending a billion dollars on a presidential race would be like you or me going out to, you know, buy a new air conditioning system. I mean, he just simply has the money to do whatever he wants to do. The question from the beginning has been, is it going to matter? Is Michael Bloomberg at at, uh, any level going to be an appealing candidate to enough Democrats to truly make some noise in this race? I think we have a partial answer to that in the sense that he's been able to vault himself up onto the debate stage He's been able to to get himself from absolutely nowhere to polling at 10 or 12 or 15 percent in some of these states. But 10, 12, 15 percent isn't going to win it. So what is Michael Bloomberg going to have to do to convince more people that he is the best Democratic candidate to go against President Donald Trump? Or is there just simply nothing that he can do and that no amount of money is going to ultimately get him to that place? I think we're pretty much on the precipice of getting the second half of the answer to that question. And Super Tuesday is is really going to to provide that clarity for Michael Bloomberg and for everyone else in the race as to whether Michael Bloomberg is going to be a factor going forward. I don't know if you had a chance to see Saturday Night Live last night, but they did an open where they mocked the debate. And they also um, talked about how Joe Biden, as you pointed out, finally won a primary. And uh, in fact, John Mulaney came out wearing uh, a South Carolina sash, as you would see in the Miss America pageant as he portrayed Joe Biden. And the thing that stood out to me was um, how they spoofed the uh, the way that Elizabeth Warren just went after uh, Michael Bloomberg with both guns blazing. I mean, it was just relentless. She just kept going after him. And I think in the end, Dave, that's what she'll be remembered for. Uh, I don't think she'll be the nominee, but I do think she'll be the person who really took down Bloomberg if that's how it all shakes out. Do you agree? You know, I, I agree with you completely. Uh, you know, her debate performance, Elizabeth Warren's debate performance may have not helped her all that much, but it definitely hurt Michael Bloomberg. And anyone who was thinking about Michael Bloomberg is somebody that they would vote for, somebody that they might support, probably had a second, third or fourth thought at that point about whether they truly wanted to support Michael Bloomberg against any of the other Democratic candidates, if you're a Democrat. So as a result of that, uh, yeah, that, that's uh, something that uh, I'm sure several of the candidates uh, were, were pretty heartened with who don't consider Michael Bloomberg even to be a Democrat in a traditional sense. Remember that when Michael Bloomberg was a mayor of New York City, at least for a portion of his three terms, he was a Republican. He was somebody who supported and endorsed George W. Bush. So that has always been an issue for him, uh, sort of the credibility gap that Michael Bloomberg had, even being a Democrat, uh, to a lesser extent that his dog, Bernie Sanders, and you've heard that from at least some of the candidates or some of the candidates surrogates from time to time noting that Bernie Sanders is an independent in the U.S. Senate. He's not somebody who's even a bona fide Democrat. Uh, but by the same virtue, Michael Bloomberg has a, a little bit more of a, uh, you know, a, a path to go down in order to consider himself or to prove to people that he truly is a Democrat through and through. Bernie Sanders, at least, is always caucused with Democrats. And there's no questioning that given uh, the democratic socialism that he uh, subscribes to, that uh, he was anything but somebody, at least on the left side of the ledger, not the right side of the ledger. Dave, you know, we heard in 2016 uh, for the Republicans about this brokered convention and it was going to go vote after vote. Uh, What is the likelihood, the real likelihood 
that that is going to happen for Democrats. As you said, a lot of people remaining in the race, that's their only way to get the nomination. What's the real likelihood right now that we see that? It's probably better than not that it won't get to that point, but the circumstances are different than they have been even in 2016. There are a lot of Democrats that are incredibly passionate about Bernie Sanders, but at the same time, there are not a majority of Democrats who are passionate about Bernie Sanders. So the question really then becomes, are there going to be enough Democrats who are not passionate about Bernie Sanders to prevent him from getting that magical 50 percent plus one vote that he's going to need in order to win the Democratic nomination outright? And uh, it, it's a little too difficult to tell at this point whether there's going to be uh, enough candidates dropping out. We had Tom Steyer, of course, leave the race last night. Are there going to be one, two, even three other candidates who drop out after Super Tuesday or soon thereafter? At that point, the math becomes a little bit different and you get some more clarity as to whether this is just going to be a slog to the end and that it's all going to be about uh, Democrats who don't like Bernie Sanders trying to prevent Bernie Sanders from winning enough delegates to win the nomination outright. So don't say that it's, you know, nobody should say it's impossible. And just because it hasn't happened in modern presidential political history, that it can't happen right now. Every election is unique in its own right. And uh, hey, lots of people were saying that Donald Trump wouldn't be president of the United States. Well, who's in the White House right now? So uh, some some odd things or unpredictable things can definitely happen in politics, particularly these days. All right, Dave. Now, I know you saw this on Twitter, so I got to ask you. I was doing some research and I clicked on Super Tuesday for the Republicans, uh, a lot of canceled primaries, a lot of uncontested. But then I came across Rocky de la Fuente (laughs) and his son. And this guy has literally run for almost everything. He ran in 2016 for a Senate seat in Florida while he was running in the Democrat primaries. He got 63,000 votes, by the way. In 2018, he ran for Senate in California, Washington, Hawaii, Minnesota, Vermont, Wyoming, Florida, Delaware, and Rhode Island. And now he is running as a Republican in 2020, also while he runs for a congressional seat in California against his son, who is also running for a congressional seat in Texas. What the heck is going on? <laughs> well, he is just this bizarre character who may not be a household name, but uh, probably a lot of people are Googling right now to figure out who the heck he is. Uh, from California, uh, he, he did very, very well in business uh, selling cars, has a lot of money to his name, and kind of a, a poor man's Michael Bloomberg in a way that he's got uh, lots and lots of money to use however he sees fit and is spending uh, you know, millions of dollars on different political efforts, or at least loaning his campaign that much, in order to run these kind of quixotic presidential, congressional campaigns and otherwise. Uh, he's sort of reminiscent in a different way of Lyndon LaRouche, if you remember him, who was another perennial <laughs> candidate who was always running for president year after year, or cycle after cycle, and of course never won much of anything, but uh, was still always getting his name mentioned and had the uh, occasional article written about him and would show up uh, when the presidential polls were taken in the primaries, and there his name would be next to 9% of the vote or 15% of the vote or, or whatnot. More locally, there's a, a candidate, a perennial candidate, Howie Hawkins, a guy from Syracuse. Who, when I went to college in Syracuse University, he was running for 
Congress back in 2000. Well, he's running for president and running for Congress and the mayor of Syracuse and all these various things. <laughs> I believe he ran for governor of New York State. Uh, so, you know, some of these candidates, uh, they, they are never going to win anything. But uh, for one reason or another, reasons that may only be obvious to them, they are in the race. And Rocky De La Fuente put him on that list as well, Jim. Dave, you mentioned uh, Lyndon LaRouche. It makes me think of Pat Paulson. Do you remember that? Absolutely. <laughs> you know, you have these characters, every uh, two, three, four of them who are just kind of fitting that same bill. And again, you don't necessarily know why they're running, but it's they're right. Anyone can run for office so long as you meet the basic minimal legal qualifications. And if you've got a little money behind you, then you might even get a little attention, even if you don't ultimately win the office it, you're seeking. You see, I'm, I'm also amazed that he can run for his son can run for Congress in California and also be running for a congressional seat in Texas. Yeah, that, and I don't know enough about that particular situation to figure out what's going on there. I definitely do know that there have been plenty of examples over the years where candidates have run for two offices at once, or at least they have been eligible to be on the ballot for two offices uh, at once. Even Cory Booker, who dropped out of the presidential race on the Democratic side, he was seeking his Senate seat and the presidential seat uh, at the same time before he dropped out of the presidential race and is now again running for U.S. Senate. So that is not completely uncommon. But yeah, this situation here is uh, definitely getting into the, uh, the the land and realm of the strange and bizarre. Dave, back to the uh, presidential race. It doesn't look like the women are, are gaining any traction. We mentioned uh, Elizabeth Warren's struggles. Uh, it seems like Amy Klobuchar has some uh, pull with some voters, but to me, she just doesn't have any charisma. She always looks a little uneasy up on stage. Uh, do you think that you now you've got a couple of white men in their 70s uh, who may end up emerging as the candidate, no matter who it is? Do you think that they may pick Klobuchar or another female just to balance out that ticket and have a woman on the ticket? That's quite possible. And I've talked to plenty of Democrats who, regardless of who they support, are uneasy with this notion that Right now, the top two, and arguably, if you throw Mike Bloomberg in there, uh, three of the top candidates are white men in their late 70s. Right. Uh, so we've gone from one of the, the most diverse field in presidential history not many months ago to this situation. And, yeah, a lot of Democrats who consider themselves to be the party of inclusion, the party of diversity, the party of anyone, regardless of their race or their gender or their sexual orientation, and, and yet they're looking right now at the polls and they're seeing Joe Biden and Michael Bloomberg and Bernie Sanders, and they're scratching their head thinking, what the heck is going on here? Where is Elizabeth Warren? Where is Amy Klobuchar? Where is Kamala Harris? <laughs> where, where is Cory Booker and, and some of the candidates who have come or gone or, or who are still in the race and their candidacies are waning and, and they're not really in the conversation anymore? So, yes, absolutely. I think the notion of the vice presidential selection is going to be front and center for whoever the ultimate nominee is, providing that we don't go to a broker convention or we don't go to a floor fight in the Democratic National Convention and it ends up being somebody surprising or somebody who might not even be in the race. I mean, all these wacky scenarios that you can discuss, but if, if you just want to go by kind of straight convention that one of the leading candidates now is going to be the ultimate nominee, then the vice presidential selection becomes very important. And I would be shocked if there are two white men on the ticket of the Democratic ticket come uh, the, the the middle of the summer. It just seems uh, that the, that's something that the Democratic Party 
wouldn't tolerate, uh, and, and that uh, that just, you know, even though it would be the nominee's choice ultimately, that that would be something that, that really would be shocking for it to happen ultimately. Dave, as always, thank you for your insight, and we look forward to hearing you on Super Tuesday with Susan Rose and Brian Mazarowski. I am looking forward to it as well. Thank you both. All right, we'll Much talk to you then. Dave. Dave Leventhal, when we come back, we'll be taking your calls here on Hardline. Tune in is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. Back clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. Yes, and even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here on TuneIn. Go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. Odyssey celebrates the class of 2024, brought to you by T-Mobile. You can count on T-Mobile to help you stay connected on America's largest 5G network. Welcome back. It is Hardline here on News Radio 930. WBEN, Joe Beamer, Brenda Alacy with you. Show is flying by, Joe. It really is. It really is. 22 minutes left. And like we said, we'll get to your calls. But first, Brenda, this is breaking this hour. Yes. As a matter of fact, uh, it was noted that Health and Human Services Secretary Alex Azar said earlier today that a new case of the coronavirus has appeared in Chicago overnight. And that's the latest spread of the outbreak in the U.S. And uh, we had heard about somebody passing away yesterday from the virus, Joe, in Washington State. And now it's in the Midwest in Chicago. So uh, obviously we'll keep a close eye on what uh, happens and further developments with the coronavirus. Keep it locked on WBEN. Yeah. And, you know, just like you should during flu season, which it is, uh, you know, wash your hands. Avoid those who appear to have a runny nose or to be coughing. Just be Smart. And uh, like Peter said, and like the doctors at the CDC said, uh, if you do catch it, most of us will be just fine. Just like with the flu. If you caught the flu, most of us would be just fine. No cases have been reported here locally, Joe, uh, according to Dr. Gail Burstein, who is the Erie County Health Commissioner. But uh, they are preparing on a local level. Uh, for what they call the inevitable spread of the coronavirus, so much so that they have actors going to the hospitals to test frontline health care workers. I thought that was an interesting development, that people are posing as uh, being ill from the coronavirus and checking to see how well the frontline uh, health care workers are responding. So if you have any um, insight on this, any questions, any comments, give us a call, 803-0930. And, of course, the Volkswagen of Orchard Park text board is open as well, 30930. Let's jump down the 90 to Rochester, which I think for right now is corona-free, and talk to John. John, good morning. Hey, Joe and Brenda. Hello, John. What a beautiful day. Uh, you know, that Pete, I was amazed by his knowledge on the uh, situation with the coronavirus. Uh, I I didn't know he was a scientist. He's not an MD, though. Right, Brenda? That's right. Yeah, I asked him about his credentials. And again, you know, John, uh, sort of a caveat for everybody. He's calling in saying that he's a scientist, and we have no way to verify that one way or the other. So I always want to caution people that this was Pete's opinions and not necessarily hard fact. Well, I can tell you right now, I'm not an MD or a scientist. <laughs> Thank you for clarifying. This is with common sense, I guess. But, you know, uh, in the end, uh, this 
a, there was a uh, Obama's chief, former chief of staff. Uh, I can't remember his name right now. Made the comment that take advantage of a crisis. Are you talking about David Axelrod? No, not no. Um, Chicago. Oh, uh, Rahm Emanuel. Yes, Chicago. Rahm Emanuel. Yes. Rahm Emanuel. Right. Right. No waste of crisis. And uh, when Obama won the 2012 election, which I thought I thought I thought uh, Romney was going to win that, and one of the reasons Obama won it was there was a crisis. There was a major eastern uh, eastern seaboard storm, a hurricane that came up the coast right before the election, and people bonded with Obama. He showed good leadership qualities, etc. So if you the same thing happened to George Bush. So, of course, that was after he got elected, the, the, right after the election. 9-11 happened. The country bonded together. And I think this could be something that will happen to Trump also, that there's a lot of unknowns at this point. But uh, from what I understand, uh, we've got this well in hand. But, again, with the caveat that things could uh, turn for the worse. But this could be a positive for Trump if he handles it properly and his people handle it, handle it properly. I think uh, the fact that he's holding press conferences, um, John, it's very important that he does that and comes out, as he did yesterday, surrounded by these folks who are with the National Institute of Health and the HHS and so forth, Dr. Fauci, Alex Azar, uh, people who deal with this day in and day out. And, uh, you know, the president knows how to be presidential when he has to. And I thought so far so good in uh, coming out and speaking to the American public about this very fluid situation. It seems to be changing by the day, if not by the hour. And the, the other thing that really concerns me is that this is sort of a broad brush, but uh, as far as disease goes, um, the illegal immigration problem uh, when we have hundreds of thousands of illegal immigrants coming into this country without proper medical study, that's a concern. And uh, there's a lot of diseases. Uh, I, I think it's too early to tell whether this disease will be perpetrated by uh, illegal immigration from, uh, let's say, the southern border. But there's other diseases that have come into play which were gone. And I'll tell you, the thing that bothers me most is the denial by the left on this issue. I personally talked to the director of uh, the Monroe County Health Department last year, and I posed the question to him about this situation. Do you have any concerns about illegal immigrants not being vetted enough? And he said, no, none, because they are properly tested. And I thought, I didn't say anything. I didn't want to be rude. But that was a ridiculous statement, and I think it's something that uh, not only this uh, coronavirus, but it could affect other types of diseases, which it already has. It's a great point, John. Um, and again, I think this is just unfolding, and every day there's a new uh, new way to look at it. But I think those are valid questions. I, I think you have every right to ask those questions. Thanks very much, as always, for the call. John in Rochester opens up a line for you. And Brenda, as you're on the phone, this breaking uh, from ABC, who uh, has a speaker right here in the control room. Uh, Another case, a patient has tested positive for the coronavirus in Rhode Island. That person had been to Italy, though, 
and was sick on know. their return. So now you have Washington State, Illinois, Rhode Island. We're, we're crisscrossing the country here. Somebody brings up a very good point on the text board as well, Joe. Uh, they write in, reusable bags means recycling or passing on bacteria and viruses. Did anyone in Albany study the negative health effects before they passed the law? So, you know, there is concern about that, and we're not quite sure uh, about how this virus is mutating, if it is at all, and how it's being transmitted. All the more reason, as you point out, wash your hands, practice uh, good hygiene, you know, be sensible, be practical about your health and everybody around you. Yes, I, I don't want to keep going to the bathroom and seeing people wa- walking out without washing oh, their hands. Oh my goodness, you know? for a number of reasons. Have have some Purell on your keychain. I know that's very popular, uh, Purell, or whatever is the your brand of choice. Um, but you know, not that expensive, and it's always just nice to have. A full wash with soap and water is the best, but if that's your only option, it's always nice to have a little bottle of Purell on your keychain. Either way, just make sure you wash those hands. Hey, 803-0930, we have to hit a quick break here, but when we come back, one more segment. We'll talk to you here on Hardline. Welcome back to Hardline. Final nine minutes of the show, so you know what? You know what the deal is. Let's get right into the calls. And go over to North Tonawanda and talk to Rambo Jim. Jim, good morning. Yeah, good morning, guys. I'm going to get straight to the point because I got a lot to say. I saw a documentary several years ago. I think it was the History Channel on the history of the bubonic plague in the Middle Ages, which wiped out between one-third and 50% of the population of Europe. And what they said on the History Channel was to deal with future global pandemics, such as, you know, in the Middle Ages, it was the, obviously the bubonic plague, is that the average European peasant back in those days became the perfect incubator for the disease. We have homeless people going to the bathroom in the streets. During the time of the bubonic plague, they said in the History Channel, people used what became known as chamber pots to do number one and number two. Then they would dump it out the window. <laughs> Lovely. The fleas, the the what the rats that were that had the um, fleas that were infected with the bubonic plague were attracted to that. And another thing they said was the average European peasant had no concept of personal hygiene and washing their clothes. So how does this relate to the coronavirus in 2020, Joe? Wanna, or excuse me, yeah, Jim. We want to buy time by being is clean by being clean freaks. It'll it'll slow down. What they said on the History Channel was the way to deal with any type of a, a, a global pandemic is to slow it down. They didn't wash their clothes. Their clothes were infected with fleas and those other bugs. They could have boil washed their clothes, but the average European peasant didn't believe it was necessary. They wore the same rotten, smelly, filthy clothes for months at a time. Their clothes were infected, and they didn't understand that. They weren't educated about personal hygiene. And like when you do your laundry, be very conscious of not overloading the washing machine. You want to, When I do my laundry, I take 50% color-safe bleach. I mix it with 50% vinegar and that's my laundry booster there's things we can do to buy the time that the doctors and the researchers need to deal with this problem but we all have to do our share 
No doubt about that, Jim. Everybody needs to wash their hands, be cognizant of, you know, if they're sneezing and coughing, that they're trying to keep it to themselves and be aware of what's happening, not touch things unnecessarily. It's pretty scary. I mean, you have a case in Washington where somebody died. Now Chicago and Rhode Island are mentioned just since Joe and I have been on the air for the last couple hours. So uh, it doesn't look like it's stopping anytime soon. And, you know, practical advice, you're absolutely right. Clean your hands, wash your clothes. Be aware, practice, you know, safe methods and, and uh, use common sense. But this thing of people going to the bathroom in the streets, President Trump has got to do something, sign an executive order, but this needs to stop now. That is the worst thing. It spreads. The, they said that it's, it, was, it was critical. People dumping sewage in the streets, raw sewage, untreated sewage, they said it was huge and spreading the bubonic plague. All right, Jim, that that is enough. Thank you for the insight. Uh, a lot of people on their way to brunch. I think they get the point. 803-0930, let's go to Lanny on a cell. Lanny, good morning. Hello, Lanny. How are you? Doing well, doing well. What do you got for us? Uh, I'd like to tell you, I'm not sure if you know it, there's a book Back, written back in 1981 by an author named Dean Koontz, K-O-O-N-T-Z. And he wrote about the year 2020, a pandemic originating from Wuhan. He says that it will do a lot of damage, it will magically disappear, and it will reappear 10 years later. But here's the big thing. China is refusing to allow the United States to send scientists to actually go and find out, discover exactly where this thing came from. So why are they hiding it? Well, that's kind of obvious. Just read Dean Kuhn's book. Uh, I can tell you the name of the book. Yeah, please do, Lenny. I've always been a fan of his work. I've read a couple of Dean Kuhn's books. To me, it's in the same vein as like a Stephen King. You know, I enjoy that kind of uh, fiction. Uh, and sometimes it's unbelievable how they are prophetic, you know, that this could actually happen. And I'd be interested in knowing what the name of that book is for sure. Yeah, I think it's called The Eyes of Darkness. Okay, I'll check it out. Yeah, you should check it out because it's too, too, too coincidental. The guy mentions the, uh, the year 2020 and the city. Now, and China goes ahead and says to the United States, no, 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 you can't come here and do this stuff. I can tell you something else. There's a company that is trying to come up with a vaccine, and China says, no, no, you can't bring the vaccine unless you tell us exactly how you made it and what's in it. That shows you what these these people are, all the government, I should say, I don't want to say all Chinese are like this, but that government is disgusting, and I just hope that President Trump says, okay, China, you're going to play hardball, we're going to play hardball. You're going to pay $10,000 for everything you ship into the United States. And take that money, and then they're going to uh, reimburse the world for for all the damage that they caused if it found out that it really did come out of a, a plant making this kind of biological warfare. All right, Lanny, thank you for the call. That's Lanny on a cell. You know, before we get to calls, Brenda, there are just a few clips I want to play. Uh, we have the Secretary of the Health and Human Service Department, Alex Azar. He was on this week with George Stephanopoulos earlier today. Here's a few things he said. And then after the news in Rhode Island broke, American Airlines has halted their flights to Italy. I want to play an update on that real quick. 
talking about the partisan sniping that we're seeing, and that's just, it's unnecessary. We don't need to have this made a political issue. We're in a public health crisis here. Talking about how this has become a political issue. And then also here is Alex Azar on why it's not a pandemic. We're not changing anything that we are doing because of whether somebody labels it this, that, or the other. We're following the science, the evidence, and the epidemiology. We wouldn't do one thing differently if somebody slapped that word on it. And then D Dr. Jennifer Ashton, you've heard her right here on yes. WBEN, uh, talking about minimizing the impact of the coronavirus. What we're going to start to see, when you look at the steps of an outbreak, you know, the first step is try to contain or stop it. When it becomes pretty obvious that that's not possible, then the step becomes trying to slow its spread. That's really part of this mitigation phase, which is routines will be impacted, and we're trying to minimize that impact. All right, and then the first story I teased. Here is a wrap from ABC News. American Airlines, as I said, halting trips to Italy. The flight cancellations to Italy are another blow for the country's already reeling tourist sector, where reservations have plummeted by 80% and cancellations soared. Sunday morning, in an interview with La Repubblica newspaper, Finance Minister Roberto Gualtieri announced Italy will introduce a package worth $3.5 billion to help companies weather the downturn caused by the virus. The area in northern Italy where the virus has hit hardest also generates about half of Italy's GDP. Megan Williams, ABC News, Rome. So we see the markets here in the United States, but we're also seeing the effects of this now throughout the world. And remember, they said if there is not a vaccine for this by mid-May, we could see the cancellation of the Olympics. Yes. I mean, there's a, there's so many implications here, Joe. And it's just so striking to me, having been to Italy several times, I saw some video recently about people walking around the Colosseum and around the Vatican wearing masks and the crowds were so much less than they normally are. It's just an odd kind of thing to see and experience. I really hope that they can uh, isolate this and figure out a way to eradicate this as quickly as possible. There are people hurting, quite obviously, who have the coronavirus. And the uh, domino effect, as we talked about with Catherine Christofferson in our first segment today, is monumental, just on uh, the service industry, the economy, everything. So stay tuned. Uh, we will bring you the latest right here on WBEN. And thanks so much to Catherine Christofferson and Dave Leventhal and all of you for your calls today. Tune in is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively sports. That clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. Yes, and even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here on TuneIn. Go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening.